Sin, are you for it or again it? I think you know we're at church on a Sunday night, we're again it here. Many in our world uh, will mock at us for sin. I think the world thinks we're making this up to make them feel guilty for the things they enjoy that we don't approve of, like we are just randomly picking behaviors we find despicable and we're calling it sin trying to make them feel guilty like we're trying to manipulate the world but we know the reality don't we the reason we cry sin sin it's bad is because we know how bad it is to people even when they're unaware of the bad things it causes we know why everything that's wrong with the world is wrong with the world. It's because of sin. The world fell, and now there's challenges, and there's disasters, and there are terrible consequences in this life alone. And then, that's not to mention the life to come. And we know it wreaks havoc in the lives of people. And it will, especially if we don't make any kind of effort to push back against it. It's so incredibly devastating, and God knew it, that he was willing to enter his son into the story and even sacrifice him in order to roll back the effect of that sin, or at least try to. But then one, what constitutes sin exactly? Some sins are obvious, and we have a hierarchy in our head of the bad sins, right? The adultery and the murder and the violence and the betrayal, all those are really obvious and we know them. The more sophisticated ones are the internal ones. Jealousy and lust and envy and greed. Always wondered from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, you, you need to be willing to not eat with people who practice this. And, and we've seen that done with sexual immorality, but I've never seen it done with greed. How do, you, how do you convict somebody of greed? I can't see that that's what motivated you. I can't see that sin. You can't either. Now, you might suspect that that's what's driving this sin, but how do you, how do you have the evidence to prove it wrong, prove its existence? So we mention those internal sins, but we're not sure what to do about it other than to tell you to be aware of it in yourself. And then there's this really strange category that we're talking about tonight, the it depends category. Is this a sin or not? And just to be truthful, well, it kind of depends. This is just really hard to preach. Because some things are not always, and some things are at certain times or when you have certain motives, and how do you do it? We can't, we can't look at somebody and know that that's what's driving this, right? We can't do that. Even if I see somebody commit something that's wrong, I can't really prove what was in their mind when they did it. It's just a, a, a strange thing. God calls Moses. You may remember this. By the way, the scripture reading, and Ronnie pointed out as he's coming up here, it's the same one as last Sunday night. It's true, and it will be the same one as the next few Sunday nights, too. Because we're doing 2 Samuel 24, and you know I issued that challenge, and several of you have responded to it. Sent me some texts. Mary Lee says, what are you trying to prove? How hard do you have to work? Are you wanting to raise or what? That's a nice little text from somebody. She almost wrote me a rhyming poem about that. Now, how do you do that, right? And then I had others saying, I'm really working on it. I'm, I'm driving, doing my sermon journal thing. I'm thinking, That's not really a good idea to do that while you're driving. So what we're going to do is I'm going to deliver the first of a few sermons on this passage, and I'm just going to hit each one of these. But Moses, 
was commanded by God to count the people twice in one letter, call, in one letter, one book called Numbers. Why did God ask Moses to count the people? Well, here's a few reasons. Uh, God told him to, and so he, he needed to, right? You'd agree? If God tells you to count, you should count. That's pretty obvious. Secondly, it affirmed that promise from God. God told Abraham, and especially to Jacob, that I'm going to I'm going to make this as numberless as the stars in the sky. I'm going to bless this. And he says to Jacob, I'm going to take you all down to Egypt. And even though you're in slavery, I'm going to make a nation out of this small group of 70 people. So when he counts in the book of Numbers, it's obvious God kept his word. God is keeping his promise to Abraham. But there's another reason. While he's taken account, according to Exodus chapter 30, as he prepares for the events of Leviticus and Numbers, God says, while you're taking account, I want you to take up a sanctuary tax in order to support the tabernacles they go through. It needed some stuff. You needed some stuff to get, take this tabernacle. How do, you, how do you take the tabernacle? How do you make it? Well, people have to pay this certain tax. And so as you count them, you take up the offering, only it's not an offering, it's a tax because you, everybody has to take the same. What if instead of doing an offering, we did a tax? It's not, this is the fifth a aspect of our worship. Right after the Lord's Supper, we're going to take up a tax. Wouldn't that be cool? Anybody for, that, for doing that? Uh, not really. Okay, so, but they did that back then. They took up a tax as they did the count. Uh, and there's another thing. Um, a little bit of a misnomer, I think. We think that God went through the land of Egypt and killed the firstborn of each family and spared completely the Israelites. That's not really true. Later on, he says, your firstborn are mine too, but we're not going to kill them. We're going to make them into one tribe called the Levites. The Levites stand in for the firstborn of Israel. And so Israel gave up its firstborn, but they let them be represented by the Levites. And it was so particular that when they counted the firstborn of Israel, and it wasn't exactly the number of Levites, there was a few lesser Levites than there were the firstborn. They had to also pay for the ones that weren't counted. So God was really meticulous in this. As they're counting the people, they're also counting the firstborn of Israel to make the Levite number right. That's amazing. Numbers chapter 3. And fourth, it seems pretty clear God wanted the people to know how many fighting men there were to give them some sense of confidence as they fought battles. By the end of the book of Numbers, at that, by the way, there's 40 years covered in the book of Numbers, 38. 38 years covered in the book of Numbers, and uh, there's a count taken at the end, and it's almost the exact same as the count taken at the front. God's saying, even through all that stuff of the wilderness and the wars and the plagues and the punishments and the diseases, I blessed you anyway. You didn't lose numbers. But also there's another reason to determine how much land each tribe needed. You needed a count. There's so many things behind God's command for Moses to count. But when we get to 2 Samuel 24, one of the questions we have on our mind is this. When David took account, God punished them and took out 70,000 of their fighting men. God was so offended by this census 
that he takes out 70,000 fighting men. Why is it wrong for Moses? Right for Moses. It's right for him, but it's wrong for David. Now, this is interesting because, listen, just because there's a biblical precedent doesn't mean it's right. That's a hard truth. That's a really hard truth, but you better remember it. Just because there's a precedent doesn't make it right. Is there a precedent for instrumental music and worship? Sure is. All through the Old Testament, commanded David, use those instruments. Is there an authorization in the New Covenant for this? But now hold it, there's a precedent. I know there's a precedent. I'm not asking if there's a precedent. I'm asking you if there's authority for us. See, uh, there's a difference. And, and just to cry, hey, it, they did it back. They did polygamy too, but do you really want to argue for that? Do you really want, Tony, you want to try that? I, 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 just because there's a precedent doesn't mean it's right for you to do. You got to do a little more study than just that, right? And so when you come into Churches of Christ, listen, I'm not going to bash people and I'm going to command, I'm not going to say they're all going to hell if they use instruments. What I am going to say to you is they had a reason for doing it in the Old Testament. We don't have a reason for doing it in the New. That's where we want to stand. And if you choose to be one of those that says, I don't care, there's a precedent, there's plenty of other places you can go to do that. Let's keep one place that wants to do it just exactly as best we can by New Testament authority. That's all we're saying. I'm not offending you. You're not offending me. I'm just saying this is where we stand. This is what we want to say. There's a second reason it's important because we take a census every single Sunday, don't we? You look back on that board and you know exactly the count. Is that sinning or what? Should we be concerned that there's a plague going through tonight because Tony counted the number? And by the way, I think he got it too low, according to what I saw, right? Not only that, but we're going to put it on that board and we're going to publish it in our bulletin for next Sunday. And so we're doing a census. So you better ask yourself a question, is a census okay? Because we've just taken one. We do every single Sunday, right? No clear statement in this text explains why it's wrong. You just know from the response of God that it is not what he wanted. But there is some indication that it should have been known. There's some indication in this text he should have known better and not done it. Two indications. One is, if you'll notice, uh, it was read very well a moment ago, when Joab says, uh, uh, verse 3, uh, David, you sure you want to do this? It's like Joab has given him a a. a check a check and balances thing the president wants to do something but the supreme court saying ah just a minute right you kind of in verse three he says may the lord your god add to your people a hundred times maybe he multiply you a hundred times while you're able to live and see it but why do you delight in this Joab is saying, put the brakes on, David, and he runs right through it. Not to say that that's necessarily his revelation, but he's given him reason to pause. And here's the other way you can know it. Nine months and 20 days later, according to verse 8, 
Joab, verse 9, gave him the numbers. And without any prophet and without any conviction, without anything, a word from God or anyone else, he immediately knows he made a giant boo-boo. It doesn't say how David discovered this. It doesn't say how he developed this sudden stricken heart. What it seems to suggest is it was a self-evident sin, a common sense offense against God. He did not ask you to give it. You shouldn't have taken it. So this act that Moses did and was completely okay with, when David does, it's a sin. Why? Number one, it wasn't commanded by God. For some things, y'all, you need direct authority from God. And if you don't have it, you shouldn't do it. I can hear people say, but now God didn't go and say, don't count the people, David. That, that apparently didn't wash with those people. He wasn't commanded like Moses was, and he should not have done it. Second, David's motives were not real good. They were very self-focused. Verse 2, that I may know the number of the people. And this word people means the fighting men. All the people occurrences, the words of people in this chapter mean the fighting men. That's going to be important for you in a later week. Every time you see the word people, it means to be the fighting men. I may know the number of fighting men that I have. And then when they knew, they knew what David wanted when they reported it in verse 9. There are 800,000 valiant men who draw the sword. David was wanting to do some warring and God had not prepared him for it. God had not asked for it. He was taking pride in it at best, right? And at worst, he was planning war. So... Is taking a census wrong? Is taking a census sinful? Okay, this is yes and this is no. Now here's a question. Is taking a census wrong? <laughs> I've got some going this way and some doing this. Okay, that's great. I Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. That's not very comforting for you, right? You want a preacher to tell you clearly, all of this is wrong. Playing cards is wrong. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. <laughs> That's not easy. That's entrusting people with wisdom to determine for themselves, and we are not real good at leaving it in that category. Now, this, to this point right now, we have done what is called Bible study. You look at this thing, and you look at this question. We took the question as we read through that chapter and said, what about this counting is such a big deal? And we compare it to Moses. We compare what David did, and we're kind of determining when it's right and when it's wrong. All that's Bible study. That needs to be done. You and your study with your scriptures and other Bible verses around you and your sermon journal. You need, but, but at some point in time, guys, we need to lift up our eyes from the text and say, what does this have to do with life? And if you don't go beyond what we've just done, you keep it in the text so much 
that nobody really realizes the relevance. We just come to church and we do this Bible study. Yep, that's when Moses, and that's, and that's uh, David, let's close the book and let's go home. And everybody's going, what does that have to do with me tomorrow when I wake up? What's that got to do with me? You've got to go to the so what section. And here's what the so what section would be. Are there things that are sins with certain circumstances involved that aren't if they aren't? Are there some things that are pleasing to God sometimes, but sometimes under certain circumstances they aren't? And that's just where you're just like, man, I don't know. And that's why we leave it in the Bible text. That's why our Bible classes leave them up there because it's like this is where you grapple with your brain some. So let me give you some verses from the New Testament where we do some, it does some so what for us. Um, and this is, sometimes this is not about sin at all. It's just about whether it accepts it or not. Here's the first one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, I'm going to say this. You have done some acts of righteousness tonight in this assembly, and you've been seen by people. Is that wrong? No, he wants you here. But is there a difference between doing acts of righteousness while people are watching you and doing acts of righteousness in order to be seen by people? Is there a difference to those? There's a big difference to those. So there's two sets of people that Jesus is talking about. It's those people who came, and the only reason they came was to impress you or to please you. That's the only reason they're here. And then you've got others who are here. Yes, you might be impressed with, and they know you're watching, but that's not why they're here. There's two groups of people. For then, if you came to be seen by people, if you came to please your mama or your daddy or your husband or your wife, and that's the only reason you came, we're glad you're here. There's some other side benefits you get. For then you have no reward from your father. Are you getting anything from God for that? Is there any blessing other than impressing somebody else that you're getting from being here tonight? No. That's what he says. Keep reading. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. I'm telling you, they've received everything they're going to get by being seen in the eyes of people. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your giving will be in secret. Nobody knows. And your Father who sees will then reward you. There are people tonight who are worshiping here, and you're going to receive the reward from the Father. There are some here tonight who are getting everything you're going to get by being seen by another person in this building, and you're all here together in one place. God is pleased with some and will reward some, and for others, not so much. He does this with the giving. He does this with the praying. He does this with the fasting. It's all the same. He would say that of worship right now. Now here's another one I want you to see from James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's not, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your, desires, your desire and 
passions at war within you. You desire, do not have, and you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, you fight and you quarrel, you do not have because you don't ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Two people praying, I want you to get this, two people praying, one of them motives completely wrong. And one of them asked rightly. Does God accept one and not the other? Two people might even be praying for the same thing. The only difference is your motive. That's it. That is all. James 4, 17, a little verse, verse a little bit further down from here. Hope, next screen. Is it not there? Well, it should be. So here's what it sounds like. And I'm going to put Paul to the test. If you can put it there in the next 30 seconds, I'll call it a miracle. <laughs> you are so good. Man, that's amazing. Okay, here's James 4, 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, <laughs> this verse throws me off. For him, it's sin. Would it be for everybody? Would it be for everybody? Not what he says. Something strikes you. Uh, Teddy Hooten's going through the day, and, and part of his work, he has to be in a certain part of the neighborhood, and he knows there's a member over there just two houses down who's been sick, and he says, I've got a chance. I believe this is a spirit nudge, okay? I'm just going to say that. I have a chance just to run over here. It's lunchtime anyway. I'm about to get off for lunch, and I can run over to that house, and I can just check on him and be a blessing to him. That's what I'm going to do. And then he decides at the last minute, no, I don't want to do that. I'd rather go out and get a burger at B.A. Burrito. Did he just sin? Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I just wonder about it. Because for some people, the opportunity isn't there. For whatever reason, like, he doesn't get on to everybody, okay, the Good Samaritan story. He doesn't get on to just the people who live, like, within a mile of the guy. He doesn't get mad at them. What he gets mad at are the two people walking along, and right there in their sphere of opportunity is someone to do good for, and they just walk on by. They're the ones he's a little frustrated with. Right there in your realm of opportunity is a chance to do good, and you don't do it. It's a sin. This is crazy, isn't it? Romans chapter 14. Are good things that you don't do sinful? Well, it depends. It depends. Did you know it? Was it in your realm of opportunity? If it was and you didn't do it. See, this is creepy. This is like that sin of omission we talk about. When, when, there's certain sins that when you do them, uh, you've transgressed. But there are certain sins when you don't do the good that you can do, it becomes that. This is a little harder to preach on a Sunday night, isn't it? I mean, it, Romans 14, 20 through 23. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. He says the same thing, almost the same thing, 1 Corinthians 8. 
So let me ask this question, next, next screen. Can something okay in itself become wrong given how it might affect others? Huh. This is getting too uh, invasive, isn't it? It's a, it's a little bit, it's, it's, it's like, well, how can you do anything? It's if you know, it's if you know it. Next, I think, but it depends. It, will it cause a fellow believer to stumble? Do you know, that's another thing, do you know it? Do you know that this could cause a fellow believer to stumble? If you know it could, because you know the person and you know why, but you do it anyway, it's sin. It wouldn't be otherwise. Now here's what the rest of this passage says. It's just, I find even weirder. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Listen, food doesn't matter. Meat doesn't matter. God doesn't care. It's all from God. He blesses it all, right? But whoever has doubts, that person, I'm not sure I should be eating this. It was offered to him, and I used to believe in idols. That's what I used to, and I just don't know that I really think if I do this, I'll be violating God. Well, if you think that, don't eat it. Now, this is, you're like, we're in 2020, 2022. We're, we're, we're way beyond this. What does this matter, right? So he says, if he, uh, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you think this will violate your worship devotion to God, then you shouldn't do it. There are people, listen, is it wrong be careful with this question. Is it wrong for a woman to wear slacks instead of dresses to worship? How many say yes? Be careful because there's not a woman wearing a dress here tonight at all. Right? How many say no, it's not? How many say it depends? What's it depend on, Perry? If they think it's wrong, and I'm telling you right now, if my grandmother would have done that, she would have violated her devotion to God. And for her, that would have been wrong. And there might be still people who believe that. And you're like, how does that happen? It's in them. They can't say, listen, we can't say. This is where those sermons, we'd like to have these sermons just across the board. Just tell me, black or white, black or white. There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of legitimate gray out there. And if you think this is part of your devotion, you grew up this way, that's the way my grandmother was. There are other people. There was a lady at Kennett that couldn't play any cards if the preacher came to her house. She could play cards with all her friends, but if I came over, she had to stop. And I'm like, what is this? This makes no sense at all. She would never play me in hand and foot, ever. Because for her, she heard... Growing up, you don't do that. I disagree. But if that's part of her service to God, she needs to honor it. And I need to honor it too. I tormented her with it. But you can have fun with this with some people who have the right spirit, right? But if they don't, I think you need to leave them alone and, and honor their conscience. So if there's some, yeah, go ahead with the next, I think I put, what, what do you think about? What, what is it that you think about? There are people in the first century that couldn't have eaten meat anywhere. 
because every bit of it was offered to an idol somewhere. And Christians couldn't care less about that. We didn't believe in idolatry anyway, but there are some people carrying it over from what they've been growing up since they were wee little. They could not get it out of their heads. And the rest of us need to respect that. This is just crazy, isn't it? David takes a census. There's a precedent for it, but not a command. And because of that, it's a, it's a sin for him, and the people are punished because of it. This isn't exactly equivalent to what we've talked about, but here's the thing. There are things that are sometimes, given your motives, could be wrong, could be sinful, or could just not be accepted by God. If you pray with the wrong motives, if you worship with the wrong motives, if you're singing with the wrong motives, completely, you're taking your focus off of God and any kind of educational blessing to your brothers, and you're just, just throwing it out there. I've got a good voice, and so I'm going to, blah, and you're just doing it for your own self-glory. Let, let, let me tell you, I do believe that's sinning. And at, the very, at least what I know is that's not acceptable to God because the motive makes all the difference in the world. This chapter has relevance for that. That's how I would preach or teach that particular question. There's so much application we can make of this. And the New Testament does a lot of that for us in different ways, but you draw the connection from this weird thing in, first, in 2 Samuel 24 where you, you're just not certain about this and you start going that there are areas of our life that are very much like that. Sometimes it does depend on certain variables as to whether something is a sin or not. A sin or not a sin, well, that's the question. And sometimes the answer is it really depends on what's going on in your mind and in the lives of people you love around you. That's really true. Makes it complicated, doesn't it? It makes loving each other and knowing each other very important. It makes inviting them over for a meal and getting to know their story very much worthwhile. And I got to tell you, I mean, I love what Paul says in this chapter when he says, if I, if I never eat meat again in order not to offend a brother... I will be a happy vegetarian. Now you can say, oh, I couldn't give up meat for anything. All Paul could think about was, I just love my brother. And if we would just love each other, we would learn some of this. Is it a sin or not a sin? It depends. Take inventory of your motives, your beliefs, and the impact it can have on people around you because all of that plays in to this question. All that from 2 Samuel 24 and a census. Yeah, all that from a census. And that's just one of the questions. There's four more sermons coming. And I challenge you, keep looking at that text and keep studying that. And if you can find some Bible study helps from 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles, I Start taking a look at what those commentaries say. It can be a fascinating journey. There's more in this chapter than meets the eye, and your job as a believer is to find it, internalize it, and make your life pleasing to your Creator. There's anyone who needs to respond this evening. The invitation is open. Give your life to God and serve Him. It is going to be messy. It's going to be 
one of those things where I've got to really think about some things. I've got to open up some things and some avenues of thought uh, when I decide something. But that's what you do when you love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, which is exactly what you're called to do and what would drive you to come to God in the first place. Invitation is yours as we stand and as we sing together.